Coming up on Stew Does America, I feel like the Tobias Funke of Arrested Development. I'm kind of the never nude of people who hate Andrew Cuomo and the terrible job he's doing with coronavirus management. There are dozens of us. And an apparent attempted coup of the Venezuelan government turned deadly this week. Deadly in the context of the raid, not deadly in the context of the hundreds of thousands of dead citizens lying around as a direct result of socialism. You already knew about that. I've been uh, asking for a while now that after you watch us free on YouTube, Facebook, or listening to our favorite podcast uh, on your platform, make sure you leave us a nice review, a rating, all that stuff. I mean, and holy crap, you've really actually listened to that. Thank you so much for doing it. We'll go through a few more of your warm and loving thoughts at the end of the show tonight. And there's never been a better time to become a Blaze TV member. Go to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. I've been told uh, they are ending the quarantine discount soon, so if you want the 30 bucks off, I mean, you gotta do it now, blazetv.com slash stew. I want you to know that I've started to flatten the curve on my weight gain. Not flatten my stomach, flatten the curve of the gain. I'm not eating right per se, but I have slowed the exponential growth of my midsection, which is nice. But never fear, gyms in Texas open up on the 18th, which is why I have planned a devastating injury for the 17th. Stu does America. Look, do I want you to watch and listen to this show? Yes. Would I like you to share it with everyone you know? Of course. But for now, it's really not even optional. You have to share this show around because apparently we are the only people on the planet who realize how terrible the Cuomo family is. If I were to tell you that Andrew Cuomo had a job approval rating of 7% in New York, what would you say? It's far too high, right? That's, that's what I would have thought. But a poll was released just four days ago that has his approval rating at, I kid you not, 71%. This, for lack of a better term, is bananas. He's soaring to new heights of approval on the back of results that would embarrass northern Italy. I would rather have a bat researcher from Wuhan running my coronavirus response than this guy. I feel like we're all like working as baggage handlers at a private airport. And we just keep pointing out, hey, hey, I don't know. I mean, is it me or is it just kind of weird that he keeps flying to that island with the dozens of 14 year old girls who never seem to return? And all the powerful people in New York just keep saying, ah, don't worry about it. It's Jeffrey Epstein. I'm sure there's an innocent explanation. Yeah, but I I mean, every second or third piece of luggage is really heavy. And I swear the other day, one of them seemed to be moving. What was inside of that? By the way, interesting fact about Jeffrey Epstein. That was actually pretty much the real response to what he was doing by powerful people in New York. Fun fact. I can't find any good reason why anyone would think Andrew Cuomo is doing a good job. The only thing that makes sense is that Cuomo has kidnapped everybody's wife and they're holding them hostage in their own homes. So I don't know, maybe Stockholm Syndrome. They're all trapped in their own homes. They're not allowed to go outside. Maybe it's mass Stockholm Syndrome. I'm not saying any of this, uh, you know, handling all this stuff is easy per se. But this has been an unmitigated disaster, as we've covered numerous times on this show. Go to the YouTube channel and share the Cuomo-related shows. We have to expose this guy for who he is and what he's done. The latest part of this slowly unfolding catastrophe is that yesterday, New York was forced to acknowledge 1,700 deaths from coronavirus in nursing homes. 
a bit of a minor oopsie, I guess. Just another 1,700 dead people to put on Governor Cuomo's magical abacus of dead New Yorkers. To put this into perspective, just the deaths announced yesterday in New York, not total deaths, but only the additional deaths and only from nursing homes was the equivalent of all the deaths since the beginning of the pandemic in Wyoming and Alaska and Montana and Hawaii and South and North Dakota, West Virginia, Vermont, Utah, Maine and Idaho, Nebraska, Arkansas, New Hampshire and Oregon, Kansas and New Mexico and Delaware and Iowa and Tennessee combined. That's one announcement just from nursing homes. The governor of South Dakota says she's going to allow people to have breakfast at a Cracker Barrel in a county with 11 people in it. And she's national news for a week because she wants to kill old people. Do you remember how not so long ago it felt like Spain was completely out of control and burning to the ground? Yeah, well, Spain and New York have basically the same amount of deaths. And they're putting on a, you know, a crown on the stupid governor's head over it. How can there just be another 1,700 people dead in nursing homes? How? I mean, one of the very first things we learned about this virus was that it would hit the elderly and infirmed hardest. The CDC issued a warning very early on about it. In fact, it's such an obvious and easy piece of information to understand. Even Andrew Cuomo says he knows it. The nursing homes, we said from day one, are the most vulnerable place because it's old people, senior people who are the vulnerable population in a congregate setting. Ah, there you go. From from day one, you knew that, huh? Hmm. It's interesting. So if they're the most vulnerable people in the most vulnerable place, why would you issue a state health directive guaranteeing that COVID-19 would be imported to nursing homes across the state. Why would you do that? It's not just guaranteeing COVID-19 within nursing home walls. You threatened the nursing homes if they tried to stop it. Here's the quote. No resident shall be denied readmission or admission to the nursing home solely based on a confirmed or suspected diagnosis of COVID-19. You took patients with a highly contagious virus that has had devastating effects on mortality rates among that age group and literally forced nursing homes to import them. Now, I guess you could say it's the nursing home's fault because they should have tested the patients before symptoms were obvious and understood what they were dealing with. And that is a really good point. Or at least it would have been a really good point if Andrew Cuomo did not issue a health directive literally banning them from doing so. Nursing homes, quote, are prohibited from requiring a hospitalized resident who is determined medically stable to be tested for COVID-19 prior to admission or readmission. Got that? He told them that they couldn't even test the patients that may have had COVID-19 and then forced them to accept the patients who they knew were positive. Oh, but who could have known that senior citizens are vulnerable to disease? The nursing homes, we said from day one, are the most vulnerable place 
because it's old people, senior people who are the vulnerable population in a congregate setting. Oh, that's right. You already said that. Thank you so much for reminding me. And since that quote was more recent, perhaps no one told him back in the day. Maybe that's the explanation. Telling nursing homes they couldn't test people for coronavirus and then forcing them to put contagious patients inside of the nursing homes might be a problem. Who could have known? And that would be a really good point, except for the fact that the nursing homes were screaming this from the top of the mountaintop. Or the top, yeah, the top of the mountain, which is the mountaintop. Top of the mountaintop. The groups representing these nursing homes put out multiple press releases and statements literally begging Cuomo to stop doing this. As they noted at the time, the preliminary results from the first nursing home to have an outbreak of COVID-19 in King County, Washington, show a hospitalization rate of 57% for residents. The case fatality rate for residents was 36% and 7% for staff. This thing was known to be killing close to 40% of the residents who get it and 7% of the much younger staff. And you formed a policy that forced the virus into the homes. It's unconscionable. They went on to spell out for the governor all of the possible issues one by one. They wanted the Cuomo directive uh, and they warned they wanted they warned the they, I can't speak today. I'm just in this. I'm in this mode. They warned the Cuomo directive can impact the health of all the other residents with dire and indeed fatal consequences. They warned that they had, quote, inadequate supplies and noted, quote, caring for COVID-19 positive uh, residents is unsafe and jeopardizes all patients in the nursing home. They begged Cuomo to realize he had they had massive issues already with staffing who were, quote, absent with symptoms and self-quarantining. They weren't even there to help. Now, this might just be too hard to figure out for most people with the intelligence of Andrew Cuomo. What does this mean? Should we still do it? Unfortunately, the specific issues were spelled out again in the document under the section nursing home infection control capabilities, where they pointed out that, quote, nursing home capability to provide high quality infection control may be limited due to situational factors out of their control, such as competences, uh, competencies of uh, remaining available staff and loss of physician and advanced practice providers due to illness, quarantine or surge needs at other institutions. And that, quote, many homes do not have private rooms. Could that be an issue with a contagious virus? This guy made thousands of grandmas and grandpas shack up with patients who we knew had COVID-19 or had COVID-19, but we didn't know because he literally banned nursing homes from testing them. Gee, I wonder what happened here. Andrew Cuomo is either entirely incompetent or playing dumb. Here he is being asked about the thing that was killing everybody. There was a state directive that said that um, people cannot be denied readmission or admission. Just wondering what the state policy is right now, again, judging the high number of deaths that are coming out of these If you are tested positive for the virus, are you allowed to be admitted to a nursing home is the question. Or readmitted. Yeah. It's a good question. I don't know. The policy is that if you are positive, you should be admitted back to a nursing home. The necessary precautions will be taken to protect the other residents there. I swear it wasn't me. He wants me to take the fall. I don't know. Which one's even better? 
that you come up with such an asinine policy or that you don't even know what it is. Here's the statement from the health department with Andrew Cuomo's name featured prominently, you know, right at the top. This isn't picking the color of the scrubs people wear in the hospital. This may be the most important single decision anyone in the world made in reaction to this coronavirus. And he either didn't know about it or he, I guess, probably worse, thought it was a good idea. So how is Cuomo handling his egregious failure? He's ordered an investigation of the nursing homes. Gee, I don't know what happened, Andy. It's a real mystery, Mr. Detective. Better start your investigation in the bathroom looking at that piece of glass behind your sink. In fact, even while making the announcement of the investigation, his health department is still using the same insane rhetoric to discuss the Cuomo policy. Quote, nursing homes cannot discriminate based on a positive COVID-19 test. What the hell are we talking about here? Cannot discriminate? This is not the color of someone's skin we're talking about. The color of their test strip, maybe? It's not discrimination to protect your residents in the middle of a pandemic. You can see the deflection strategy that they're developing already as they float their trial balloons through the personification of failure, Bill de Blasio. Remember, a lot of these are for-profit organizations. I think there's going to be a lot of questions about whether they put their residents first or whether they put profit first. Ah, you see, it's those evil capitalists that are the problem. It's not us designing a policy that basically sprayed COVID-19 all over elderly residents like they were in a coronavirus water balloon fight. I'm not saying Andrew Cuomo thinks all old people are expendable. Yeah, my mother is not expendable. And your mother is not expendable. And our brothers and sisters are not expendable. And we're not going to accept a premise that human life is disposable. Oh, I have so many comments, particularly in that last part, but I'll, I'll leave them for another monologue. Most of it pretty much was a lie, but he does seem to like his mom, and that's great, especially this close to Mother's Day. I'm going to go out on a limb and, uh, and say that maybe we're not going to turn up uh, an executive order or a health directive that forces COVID-19 positive patients to room with Mrs. Cuomo. Just a guess. It's possible I'm being too hard on Andrew Cuomo. Maybe he's torn up about this. Let's check in and see what he was doing on the same exact day this news came out. Do you think that you are an attractive person now? because you're single and ready to mingle? Do you really think you are some desirable single person and that this is not just people's pain think, coming out of them? I think yeah, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Listen to you. You got an answer for anything. You're feeling pretty good about That's yourself it. these days, aren't you? <laughs> aren't you? Aren't you feeling pretty good about yourself these days? <laughs> this is CNN. As the economy is shut down across America, we have struggled to understand why places like Wyoming has had to deal with the same punishing restrictions, particularly when it was mostly Andrew Cuomo's domain and the area surrounding it that has been where all the devastation has occurred. But it's worse than that. And while all experts acknowledge this number is still an undercount, 
The new additions bring the total to at least 4,813 people dead in New York. And that's just in nursing homes, just in nursing homes. That is about the same total as everyone, nursing home or not, killed in Wyoming, Alaska, Montana, Hawaii, South Dakota, North Dakota, West Virginia, Vermont, Utah, Maine, Idaho, Nebraska, Arkansas, New Hampshire, Oregon, Kansas, New Mexico, Delaware, Iowa, and Tennessee. Plus Oklahoma, Kentucky, Nevada, District of Columbia, South Carolina, Alabama, Wisconsin, Rhode Island, Mississippi, and Missouri combined. Nice work, Andrew. All right, moms are working much harder than usual this year without a single day off. The kind folks at Books, that's short for bouquets, have chosen to honor our mothers with Mother's Day all day long, all weekend long, and all month long. From now until May 31st, get incredible savings on gorgeous flowers. And if one day of flowers isn't enough, consider the Books Flower Subscription Service. Saves you about 30% on bouquets, uh, and uh, you know you pay zero shipping every single time. Uh, Books recommends their gift trio for three months for the most beautiful, freshest blooms that last the longest. Celebrate Mother's Day all this month with Books. Just head to books.com slash stew and be pay, uh, make sure to uh, use the uh, slash stew part. It's important. Why? Because that's how they know you like this stupid show. B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash stew will get you 25% off your entire order for the rest of May. Maybe you can't give mom a hug right now, but you can brighten her day. With the Books Company, B-O-U-Q-S, uh, 25% off right now. B-O-U-Q-S, books.com slash stew. It's a bizarre story out of Venezuela today about a, an attempted coup of the socialist dictator Maduro. So was America involved? Here to fill us in on the details is our own American war hero, Jason Buttrell. Jason, I know you once told me that uh, I shouldn't ask you about uh, the time that you invaded Venezuela and, uh, <laughs> and all that other stuff, so I won't ask you about that. Uh, but this story is legitimately fascinating. What happened? Bizarre. So, I, you know, the first coup I saw played out in real time was the Turkish coup back in 2016. It was all on Twitter. It was insane. Mm. Um, we saw something similar. It was last April, and that's really where this story starts. Um, April 2019, I don't know if you remember, but that was when military people from the Venezuelan military started rising up, and there was a huge attack on a military base. Yeah. And it was spiraling out of control, and we actually thought that this might be the start of when everything comes down. But that was when we supported uh, Gaeto and the transition government, who we still support. But it fizzled out. Now, mm-hmm. I, I, I remember wondering at that, at that time, what happened to all these guys? Because all these military people that were switching sides from Maduro, where'd they go? They didn't all die. Well, it turns out, literally a few weeks later, they crossed the border over into Colombia. And a meeting happened at the, I think it was the Marriott Hotel in Bogota, Colombia. Mm-hmm. This is bizarre. I'll like, call cool me start at Marriott. Of course. Yeah. Slogan, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> um, Plan so, your coup. Right, at any Marriott. <laughs> they, so they all met up in Bogota. And it was a bunch of shady, really shady military guys. Some that were like lifelong Ch- Hugo Chavez supporters. Okay. So it's kind of hard to say 
what they really want for the country. Do they want? Right. Are, are they the good guys? We don't really know. Or they, yeah, or, or, or are they just opportunists? Enemies of my enemy is my friend type of situation. Right. Um, but there were some people of the transition government that I guess had some kind of involvement there as well. Mm-hmm. Well, let's wrap that up too. There was a there was an American there. He is a ex Green Beret, highly decorated. I think tri- three times uh, Silver Star or Bronze Star winner. Um, but his name is a uh, Jordan. J- Jordan I, I, it's a French-sounding name, so okay. I'm going to botcher it, but Goudreau, I believe, yeah. is, was his name. But he's got a, a security contracting company. Now, there's multiple different ways uh, that you can do contracting. You can do it very legit, which is this, like, Blackwater, you know, people sure. like that. They get a co- contract from the U.S. government, mm-hmm. sanctioned through the State Department. They're also sanctioned through the host country. There's other contracting companies that will just work uh, with a, ho- a foreign country without U.S. government support. Mm-hmm. And then there's... This guy, this Jordan Goudreau guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he said, screw all of that, okay. and he's going to go his own way. Mm-hmm. First off, I know they, 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 they were trying to work with the transition government, Gyoto, um, who eventually said, guys, you guys are nuts. We're backing away from this. Mm. Now, they claim that some money was promised to them, the transition government saying that's false. Um, but regardless, what they, have, what they ended up kind of going through with was played out just a few days ago where they tried an amphibious assault to go into Venezuela with the ultimate goal of toppling Maduro and bringing down the regime. Now, yes, the security contractor, security contractor with a, with a bunch of Venezuela resistance fighters. Mm-hmm. Now, right off the bat, who Goudreau was partnered with was a guy that was a uh, he's already been convicted. He's sitting in a jail cell right now here in America for drug smuggling. OK. That kind of tells you right there the types of people that we don't even know. Most of these, they may be claiming to be good guys and want to liberate Venezuela, but are they really good guys? Right. There's a whole lot of gray area <laughs> yeah. going on here. Uh-huh. Um, but two Americans did get caught um, just today. Uh, one of them was being paraded, of course, by Maduro. Um, he was forced to, you know, to accept, yes, I was involved with this. This is what happened. They were, both the two Americans were also uh, decorated vets, uh, also former Green Berets. This is really serious, and I, I've gone back and forth with how you know how pissed off I am at this Goudreau guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I reached out to a buddy of mine that's in the, the community is very very small. The people that are involved with you know, it, at, we've been the, at war how many years now since Afghanistan? There's a whole lot of I mean we're a, we're a, a society that's had our young people that have grown up in combat. Yeah, a, a lot sure. of us. Yeah. But there's a lot of cowboys out there that are trying to turn what they did then into cash. And I believe Goudreau is one of those cowboy type guys. Mm-hmm. And I wish that he would come forward and he would present himself and say, you know, I, I am willing to trade myself if, as long as you let, you know, my, the Americans come home. I mm-hmm. do not expect him to do that. I wish that he would do that. But I've reached out to a buddy of mine who actually went and helped train them on some things. Um, I'm going to keep his name, you know, confidential. Mm-hmm. But he pleaded with them from the beginning. He he went to the camps. He said that, uh, that they had training camps set up in Colombia. Uh, he said there was probably around 300 men. Now keep that in the context. They wanted to inv- they wanted to invade a country with 300 men. Venezuela has an army of about 140, 150,000 just in their army. Mm-hmm. I'm not even counting the the air force and navy and all that. Right. That was their plan. Now it was a suicide mission. Absolutely suicide mission set up from the beginning. And that's why the transition government never even went in with them because they said, you guys are nuts. Yeah, yeah. But they still went through it.
But um, I know from my source that this was had nothing to do with the U.S. government. That's one of the reasons why most of the people backed out, because they said the U.S. government was not involved with this whatsoever. Okay. The transition government was not involved with this whatsoever. They decided to do this completely on their own. Now, that's what every government and transition government would say in this situation. Do you actually believe it? Absolutely believe it, yeah. because they were there from the get-go, from the ground floor, mm-hmm. and that's what they were using to, to say to, you know, whether, whether they were going to decide whether to give more to this cause yeah. or to back out completely, and they ended up backing out completely. Because it didn't look like it was a feasible plan, or they didn't think this was the right way to go about it. We don't know. But yeah, well, actually, both of that, and if there's no U.S. government support, I mean... Right. So what is the actual, like, walk me through what is a, a good outcome here. Like, they go in and they kill or... or or, you know, uh, capture Maduro and then they think they have control of the government? Like, is that because that's not what would happen, right? There'd be somebody else on that side that would step in and try to keep that role anyway, right? You're not going to take the entire uh, government captive with 300 people. Well, that was their plan. It literally was their plan. Mm-hmm. Well, their plan was that once they did this, they would get more and more defectors that would come out. Right. And it would kind of snowball from there. And there's something to that, right? Like, I mean, if you, the, you know, the old Valkyrie plan was, you know, yeah. it was a very small amount of people. If you if you know uh, this uh, piece of history from the Tom Cruise movie, you'd know this. Um, <laughs> but, it, I mean, that was a real thing. And they, and they tried to assassinate it. There's that idea that if you take away a person who's a real figurehead of one of these regimes, everything kind of just crumbles under it. I don't see Maduro exactly in that space, though. He's not, he's not, you know, he's not esteemed. Like, people like Chavez, I think, more than Maduro. Yeah, well, oh, absolutely, for sure. Um, the, it's really interesting, and I've, as I've been researching this and talking to people that are on the ground, it's revealing a lot about the Venezuelan resistance and the transition government. Mm-hmm. So they, they've talked about how, you know, at first they came out and said, you know, we want Maduro out of there. Uh, they, they were very, very steadfast in that. And a vast majority of the international community was behind them. Mm-hmm. It sounds like this plan would have gone further and had actually might have had a better chance if the transition government would have been solidified. They kept saying that they did, they, there were factions that didn't know really what they wanted to do. There were factions within the transition government that actually want to coexist with Maduro. So they keep Maduro in power, but they'll kind of stay there as somewhat of a check to his. Uh, sure, sure. They're kind of splintered off right now, which is very, very disappointing when you think about what Venezuela could be. Yeah. But I, I, it says something to the legitimacy of this movement. I don't even know how far it can go, really. It's one of these things that we've seen the, uh, several of these recently where it seems like something's about to happen. Something's about to topple. Syria is a really good example of this. And yeah. It seemed like that was going to go away. He's still in power. Maduro's still in power. Um, the only thing I learned from this is just that socialism is so wonderful uh, that people just want to continue the government. Um, I want to change gears before we have uh, run out of time here, though. Uh, tonight on uh, the Glenn Beck program, uh, Glenn TV or whatever they're calling it, the Wednesday night special that he does uh, once a week here on Blaze TV. Make sure it's going to air right after this if you're watching on our little linear feed. Um, it, tonight is you're going to the Biden read allegations. Yep. And this has been an interesting one to watch because there's clearly a big media angle in that, you know, they, they their treatment of this is it's it's almost unthinkable how, how bad they've been on the story, um, be, just because of the standards they've already set uh, in previous uh, in previous incidents like this, or at least accuse uh, accusations like this. Do you going through this? You've done a lot of research. You looked into not just Reed, but multiple other people who have made accusations. What's your vibe? Do you believe do you believe it? I've gone back and forth. Yeah. So, and that's what's really crazy about this. And I, I think that it's ironic enough, but Joe Biden ma- kind of created the current standard. 
Mm-hmm. He helped to create the current sure. stand we're in. Mm-hmm. Back during the Obama administration, um, that was the Believe All Women that devastated multiple people on college, college campuses all over the country. Yep. Um, so he kind of started this. It was furthered through Me Too. And that standard, I think we help. We will help tonight, and what Glenn will kind of throw out is, look, how we're looking at Tara Reid right now is kind of how it should be done all the time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. we, we need to, there's certain things that we need to add into this equation. Like, you know, are there corroborating witnesses? You know, you know, when did this happen? Um, is she possibly an agent? You know, for not for Russia, even though people have claimed that well, she does have some weird tweets about Russia. She does have some weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's neither here nor there on the story, but it is weird. I kind of stay away from that. And that's not really yeah. what's more important to me. What's more important to me is how she's been a supporter of Biden all the way up until a couple years ago. Mm. So, I mean, if, if he sexually assaulted you in the matter, she said you're not writing actual op eds talking about how he was a great champion for women right now. You don't do that. So there's a lot of weirdness about her. But on the flip side, if you're looking at, let's say, the standard that you know, Christine Blasey Ford had versus what Tara Reid had. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. There's so much more evidence on Tara Reid that she has corroborating witnesses, actual audio from the time that we know for a fact she was talking to people about this type of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, the call on, on CNN, I think, was it was a change in this story. It's one thing to have a witness who says they heard the story as well. But to actually see this happen in front of America, which they didn't even know it at the time. The mom calling in and saying, hey, what if my daughter had a problem with a senator? I think that changed people. You know, like I, this is yeah. a little bit of a different case here, but I remember the same thing happening back in the Ray Rice uh, incident in the NFL, where like, you know, he, he, he heard the reports, he got suspended for a few games, and all of a sudden that video came out. And when that yeah. video came out, it changed the way people felt about it. Yeah. We're weird like that. I, I don't think that's a good instinct. We should be, we should be, it shouldn't be an emotional thing. And that's, I think, emotion. But still, it, it made it real, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. But even, even in that video... It's hard to tell what she's talking yeah, about. She doesn't say the assault. She never says the says assault. a problem or something. And some of her corroborating witnesses, some of them corroborate sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Another one will corroborate sexual assault. Mm. So it's all over the place. But regardless, there need I think there needs to be some kind of closer examination, some kind of investigation to actually. I demand an FBI investigation, Jason. <laughs> I they can have it done in three weeks. It's easy. Remember this from the Kavanaugh days. We just need an FBI investigation. Just turn the switch on. FBI investigation. Go for it. But on this one, Biden's saying. The New York Times uh, article was a good was enough for plenty. the investigation. Oh, that was plenty <laughs> uh, in this particular case. Jason Butterly is head writer of the Glenn Beck program. Uh, thanks so much for stopping by. Uh, by the way, speaking of the Glenn Beck program, get access to that. The special's coming up next. Uh, that show, mine, about a million more. Uh, just by signing up for Blaze TV, go to blazetv.com slash stew. Enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And you'll get an easy 30 bucks off your price. Back in a minute. So do you remember Rob Ford? He was the mayor of Toronto, had a bit of an issue. Uh, You know, sometimes when you do drugs on camera, people make a big deal about it, you know, especially when you're mayor. It's just so annoying. But he's the mayor of Toronto. Uh, Got a little bit of an issue with uh, maybe having a little bit of drugs and all sorts of escapades on on film. Uh, Later died of a heart attack. I don't mean to ruin the story for you because it's going to be a new series on AMC. Uh, And Rob Ford played by Jim Gaffigan. So I am very excited about this. I'm in. You do not need to sell me any more than that. I am 100% in already. Uh, it's the type of thing you could kind of see maybe uh, this being a breakout sort of dramatic role for, 
uh, for uh, Gaffigan, which will still be funny, uh, sort of like Breaking Bad uh, with, you know, Bob Odenkirk, who was famous for a sh- you know, show called Mr. Show on HBO. If you don't know, that's one of my favorite shows of all time uh, with David Cross. Uh, they're actually going to be doing a reunion special, Mr. Show's live re- charity reunion special on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Central. I'm definitely going to be watching that. Screw this show. I'm just going to flip it on. Don't worry about it. Back in a second. Black Rifle Coffee Company, veteran-owned, operated, premium, small-batch, roast-to-order coffee company. You want to have, like, we're Americans, right? We want the best stuff. We want it delivered immediately. We want it right where it's supposed to be at the exact amount of time. And we want it to be reliable and great. Well, that's what Black Rifle Coffee is. Uh, They import only the highest quality beans from around the world. They always roast their coffees to order, so it's super fresh. And you can get the the little club they've got going on, the Black Rifle Coffee Club. You choose whatever amount you want, whatever blend you want. They discount the price. They ship it to your home or your office when you go back to work. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash stew is a place to go. Take care. uh, Take advantage of this discount. They got a 20% 20 off your first order of any coffee product. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash stew. Make sure to use the slash stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. It's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash stew. There have been so many predictions and mistakes from commentators and politicians alike. With the exception of Twitter, everyone on Twitter has been right the entire time, which is great. Uh, Now, according to reports, there's going to be a surge in people questioning the death totals. Who can you trust? Uh, My next guest knows the stats better than anybody, and he's been uh, talking about how uh, spreading accurate information is actually more effective than a lockdown. Joining me from Hong Kong, there's a little bit of delay, is an adjunct fellow from the American Enterprise Institute, Lyman Stone. Lyman, I'd love to go to start with the work you've been doing on sort of all-cause mortality. Uh, a lot of people who are kind of skeptical of the way this has been handled or how bad this really is has talked about, well, maybe we're counting flu deaths as, as COVID deaths or, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing some, some sort of a, a record keeping error, which is the real story here. Can you explain why all cause mortality is important? Sure. You know, early on, we were getting these reports of confirmed COVID deaths. And you always wonder, what does this mean? Uh, different, in different places have different rules. Some places, it seems like if you get hit by a car, but you have a positive COVID test, you're a COVID death. Mm-hmm. Other places, you can be hacking up your lungs uh, with all the symptoms, and yet because you didn't have the right kind of test, it's just mysterious pneumonia, right? So it's very difficult to compare uh, these confirmed COVID deaths. So my solution uh, is simply to look at all causes of death. Just say, how many bodies are there? Is it near what we would expect in a given part of the year, or is it much higher or much lower? Now, this is also nice because it captures possible side effects of policy responses. If lockdowns are driving an increase in suicide, we'll catch that too. If the cure is worse than the the disease, we would catch that as well. Um, So any of these situations we can catch by just looking at all-cause mortality. It's a simple metric. Nobody really disagrees on how it's counted. We're just counting bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'll catch uh, all the different kinds of effects that people are interested in. And so and there's a pretty consistent story that all-cause mortality tells. And it's a pretty scary story. 
Exactly. All-cause mortality is way above its normal point uh, at this point in the year. Normally, uh, deaths peak in January because of uh, essentially flu season. Um, but right now, we are above the peak deaths for the year. Uh, in fact, we're about 25% above where we typically would be at this point in the year. This is the highest deviation from normal that we've seen in over 60 years. Um, the last time that we've seen a deviation this large uh, was during World War II. And before that was 1929, and before that was 1918. This is one of the largest mortality spikes ever documented in US history. And if you look at particularly hard hit areas like New York, it's even worse. Deaths in New York in April are going to be over 120% of their usual level. This is an extraordinary increase. It, it does not occur uh, more than maybe once in a lifetime. Uh, it's like being hit by dozens of hur of serious uh, hurricanes all at once. Mm. Um, you know, Lemon, one, one of the things I've really appreciated about your analysis of this uh, over over time here is that it seems like there's kind of this this typical breakdown of commentators in general or people who are looking at this in general. You know, you got this one side that's saying, yeah, this isn't that serious. We should just open everything up. And the other side that says, well, it's super duper serious and we should be locked down till you know, the year 2658. Um, and you've, I think, <laughs> that's a long time. Um, you've, you've, I think, put an interesting package together here, which is you, you make the point that mm -hmm. lockdown actually probably isn't the best policy here, not the most effective policy. And, uh, you know, that is typically combined with, well, I don't think it's serious, but you think it's deadly serious. So what, what exactly is the right approach here to, to make this, uh, to walk this line? So, we do see this problem often. It seems like you've got people who either believe the wildest conspiracy theories about coronavirus, right, that it's been circulating for years and has, you know, a virtually zero death rate. And what's going on now is just all suicides related to lockdowns. And that's driving the death spike. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the other hand, um, you get, as you said, people who uh, seem to think uh, that humanity has never encountered anything worse than COVID, and so we should discontinue human society. <laughs> These are absurd extremes. Uh, the reality is that uh, the research that we have suggests that people were social distancing before lockdowns were implemented, mm -hmm. that lockdowns themselves actually barely change people's social distancing behaviors at all which suggests they're not likely to save lives. And in fact, we can see in most places, uh, deaths peaked too early for lockdowns to be able to explain it because it'll take a few weeks for a lockdown to reduce deaths as the disease progresses. So it's unlikely that lockdowns are actually a, the source of declines in deaths in countries that are over the curve now. It's much more likely that the voluntary social distancing before those lockdowns is responsible for that, which is to say, as people began to get information about how deadly this virus was and, and, how and how low their chance of being resistant was, they took precautions. Mm. If you saw that people were getting struck by lightning just by walking outside of their door, you would probably stay inside. People protect themselves. We don't need a heavy-handed lockdown uh, to shut down society. People are going to protect themselves voluntarily, naturally. And the trends in this are not very different in America versus other countries. There's not really any, any evidence here um, that Americans are particularly different in this regard.
Hmm. Uh, that is, it's really fascinating. I think it's true. I mean, I think you see some of that in, in Sweden. You see that. I think is, it's also an issue with when we open things up, whether people will jump right back into the uh, economic activity they were doing before. Um, but you you live in Hong Kong where uh, it's been kind of universally praised as a great example as to what is possible here. What is life like there? And I know some of the stuff that they've done has been a little over our constitutional lines. Um, but what are some of the things that are effective that we could bring to the United States? So Hong Kong's government was pretty slow to respond. Uh, they kept taking the official CCP line that there's no problem. <laughs> uh, this virus is not highly contagious. Uh, nothing to worry about. Uh, they didn't. They, they were very slow to close the border with China. Um, and so we got a considerable amount of cases spilling over from China into Hong Kong. Um, but people responded. And of course, the reason people respond is because Hong Kong people uh, aren't really they don't really have a lot of trust in, the, in their government. You may have uh, yeah. seen the news about that. Um, and they weren't really prepared to take this lying down. Um, tend to be a pretty spirited people. Um, and so people began to wear masks. They began to voluntarily socially distance. Um, and this pretty well nipped the first wave in the bud. However, we got hit by a second wave a number of weeks ago, mostly seeded by imported cases from the United Kingdom and the United States. Um, so the government finally sort of woke up um, to this and they began to take a few measures. Um, so school has been canceled here since January. Uh, then they've uh, limited some restaurants and some assembly rules since since January and especially since March. Um, we've had a considerable amount of testing. Um, it, but the main strategy, the primary tool that our government that the government has used here is centralized quarantine. If a person tests positive, then they and all of their close personal contacts, that is all the people they might have infected, are isolated in designated site. It's mm. usually uh, here we have a lot of these like large hostels and vacation camps, they call them, that, that the government is using. Um, this strategy of quarantining presumptively positive people um, allows us to economize on tests. That is, there's not really enough tests to test everyone in a speedy fashion. Uh, so you centrally quarantine people until you can get to them. Most people only spend maybe a week or two tops in central quarantine. This isn't months. Um, it's days as, as it just takes a little while to get a test to them, process the test and confirm that they're negative. And once they're negative, you can let them go. Uh, but what this does is it essentially reduces the spread of the disease to zero. Uh, after Hong Kong implemented this, uh, the reproductive rate of the disease has been kept quite low. Uh, despite the fact that our businesses are open, yeah. we go to beaches, we go to parks, um, life is basically normal. Um, there are large assembly bands, but even then, people have social lives. Sure. Um, just meet outside instead of in a building. Yeah, this is, this is really fascinating. I, 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 I asked you too many questions and I took too long. Um, I would love to have you back on to go even further into this because this is, you know, it's, there's some parts of it that scare, I think, Americans, but there's some, you know, I think they just want to go to restaurants and, and, and be happy again. So th there's a lot to consider here. Uh, Lyman yeah. Stone, uh, economist, uh, adjunct uh, fellow for the American Enterprise Institute, coming to us from Hong Kong. Thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Um, and I'd love to have you back on to kind of discuss this further if you have the time. Absolutely. Thank right. you. Thanks. We're back in a second.
Thank you so much for reviewing the show on iTunes. A couple come in from R. Mahan Jr., a very smart analytical commentator. I thoroughly enjoy listening to Stu. He's analytical, willing to tell it like it is, good or bad. He's also entertaining five freaking stars. That's the way it's supposed to be. Vegan Willie. Lots of vegans listening to this show. Stu is great. I like this stupid show. Whatever. He will make you laugh, make you cry, above all, think. Cutting through the nonsense and brainwashing from the left. Five freaking stars. That's the way to do it. Good clicking, guys.